during the week I was talking to someone about youth ministry and this particular idea uh, came up on, on, on numerous occasions, which is that the, the version of the faith, the version of Jesus that people are familiar with, they very often have rejected, right? So the, my generation now, like what I'm 40, kind of five-ish down, I suppose, um, uh, we never really knew the Lord. We were never really introduced to him. The, the version of the faith that we got was really, really weak and really childish. I mean, it was our faith formation more or less stopped when we were 12. So in secondary school, our faith formation didn't continue. We never learned to understand our faith from an adult's perspective, you know. So our faith remains really childish. Then you go to university and your faith just, it just it can't deal with all of the logical, reasonable questions that are thrown at us because we've never learned to look at our faith uh, reasonably or as I say from the perspective of an adult so it becomes this very shaky emotion-based kind of faith uh, with no real reason to it and then very often uh, our understanding of Jesus himself as well is it's nothing like the real person who walked the roads of our earth because if you ask people about Jesus if you ask teenagers about what do they know about Jesus they'll have a few nice kind of cute things to say about him you know he was good at finding sheep and uh, he helped people and uh, you know, he was uh, an eco-warrior, or I don't know what they'd say, but, um, but today's gospel, I see, I just, I, I love, personally I love, when Jesus just lays it out, right? Because you see, he's not, he's not aiming for politically, to be politically correct. He's not aiming to make a load of friends. He's not even aiming to be liked necessarily. Uh, he aims for the truth. Now, he's not doing it to be mean, he's not doing it to be obtuse, he's not doing it to be difficult or offensive, to use today's also popular word, but, but sometimes the truth is a bit objective, so it kind of doesn't really matter if you like it or not, it just kind of is the way it is, you know what I mean? It just, it just is, <laughs> it just is. Uh, so like the Lord, he, he, he lays it out here. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, if anyone, opened, if anyone openly declares himself for me in the presence of men, the Son of Man will declare himself for him in the presence of God's angels. We like that bit. That bit's nice. We got that. So if you wear a cross, you're kind of declaring yourself for Jesus, then Jesus will kind of take care of you. That's okay. Right. But, <laughs> the man who disowns me in the presence of men will be disowned in the presence of God's angels. Now, like, when you think of, of our you know, political situation at times, Politicians then who are Catholic, do they stand for Catholic belief, beliefs in the public forum? That's what this gospel is about. Or even as a priest. Uh, so I have a, rep, uh, a responsibility to defend church teaching, not because it's popular, not because people like it, but because Jesus gave it to me. So if he gave it to me, he's not wrong. Now I still have to do it with tact. I still have to do it with love. Absolutely. Yes. And you still have to also choose the right time. Um, you can't just you know, hit someone between the eyes with a two by four just because you're right. Um, you, still have to be, you still have to be tactful and loving, of course, that comes first. Prudence before truth. But uh, there's, just a real, there's a consequence here for not standing up for the Lord. It's, it's, it's not, ah, sure, it's all grand, we're all fine. Sure, once you feel fuzzy and Jesus is an eco-warrior, we're all good. Like, that's not what the gospel says. It's just not there. Okay, uh, he's, the, the Lord is very clear that we have to actually stand up for him. Not, we, don't actually have to, we don't have to defend Jesus. Jesus will live to take care of himself. But if I call myself Catholic, then I, I do have to stand up for what we believe. Now, again, and I, I can't say this often enough, uh, this sounds a bit 
it sounds a bit dodgy the first time you hear it, like, but prudence comes before truth. Prudence before truth. You know, well, surely truth comes first. Not really. If we'll say someone has wintered fairly well and, and, and tucked into the old Christmas puddings well into mid-February, and they're after rounding nicely, right? It is objectively true that they've put on weight. Okay, it's just the way it is. But if you go up and say, Janie, you're huge. Now, what you're saying is factually correct, okay? But you would never say it, okay? Not because, because it, it's, while it's true, it's not prudent. Or, you know, if you see someone uh, living a sinful life and you go over and say, you're a big, dirty sinner and your way of life is sinful. Now, <laughs> prudence first. Win their friendship first. You know, win their friendship first. Show that you actually care, rather than you're just kind of sitting on your throne of judgment, pointing the finger down at those lesser than you. You know, so like Jesus, who meets the woman at the well, I mean, her, her situation was completely irregular, but he doesn't start the conversation there. You know, he starts actually talking about granting her grace and granting her uh, a source of, of, of water that will well up into eternal life, rather than saying, you, you big dirty sinner, you need to X, Y, and Z. So, you know, you win their friendship first. You, you, you have to understand where they are first, and, and, and love them into where they could be or should be. Love them into where the Lord is calling them. So prudence comes first, prudence first. You know, what, what, what is, what's the right way to say this? What's the right time to say this? So, but the, there are occasions, yes, when we have to say things quite, quite bluntly. Uh, just one line on, 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 uh, in this gospel sounds a bit, again, it sounds a bit shocking. So everyone who says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. People have often asked me, what's this sin against the Holy Spirit that can't be forgiven? Because surely if, if, if confession removes sins, then, then surely it, any sin can be forgiven, or, or are there certain sins that can't be forgiven or won't be forgiven? Okay, so it's important to understand this. Sin against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, third person of the Holy Trinity, is... Love personified, right? So the Holy Spirit is love personified. So it's, it's this intense love between the Father and the Son is so divine and so great and so beautiful that a, a, a third person, divine person, proceeds from that love, you know, proceeds from the Father and the Son. So the Holy Spirit is love personified. Now, as we, as, as Jesus clarifies to St. Faustina so well, <clears throat> mercy is God's greatest attribute, Okay. So this love of God is merciful. So this personified love, the Holy Spirit, right, is like the personification of God's mercy. So, therefore, the sin that can't be forgiven is me rejecting God's love, me rejecting God's mercy. So if I die and I don't want God's mercy, I don't want God's love, what's he supposed to do? So... Jesus wants to forgive me. His heart has been pierced for me. He has died for me. But I say, I don't want it. I don't want your, I don't want your mercy. I don't need it. I did nothing wrong. Well, actually, you did. But yeah, that's, that's just because of your rules, okay? The, the, your rules are the problem. If you didn't have all these rules, then I wouldn't have broken them, right? It's your fault you made the rules. Okay, I lived life as I knew best, and, and, and you just kind of, where were you actually when I needed help? And we started accusing God. And so rather than accepting his love and accepting his mercy, I actually push him away. 
Now, that sin is unforgivable, not because God doesn't want to forgive us, but because it is the grace of forgiveness. And I'm saying no to it. It is the grace of his mercy, and I don't want it. And that's why it's unforgivable, because it is the grace of forgiveness. So if I don't want that, like, does what? where do you go from there, you know? So that's why it's uh, he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. So he who rejects the love of God, he who rejects the mercy of God, that, that, that can't be forgiven. So again, again, this is, you know, the Lord lays it out. But let's phrase it positively, because the world is negative enough these days. So positively said, if we do accept God's mercy, there is nothing that can't be forgiven. That's a lot of negatives. Okay, hold on. If we do accept God's mercy, everything can be forgiven. Right? If we accept God's mercy, everything can be forgiven. And not only that, but when we live out of the mercy of God, and when we know that everything goodness has come from God, and that all of the things that we've been able to achieve, we have done so because God gave us the ability, the grace, the gifts, he has carried us through, so everything has come from him, and I'm aware of that, then I will glorify the Lord even more. So then in my, I, I have fallen, I have experienced God's mercy, and because of that, I'm full of an even greater gratitude to God. You know, he who, who uh, that, that, that parable that, that the Lord asks, you know, uh, the person who has been forgiven more, loves more. The person who has been forgiven more, the greater the debt, right, the greater the, the appreciation of the, 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 the king or the owner who, who, who pardons that debt. So if we've experienced God's mercy, rather than that kind of being a mark against us, this can actually increase within us an even greater love, an even greater appreciation, an even greater gratitude. Lord, you have forgiven me. There's a wee um, Japanese art that I came across called Kintsugi, right? Don't ask me how to spell it. We, I, I don't know how. Google it. And um, Kintsugi. And the art is, right, that you take a bo broken bowl or cup, some bit of some ceramic thing, and you, you weld it back together, basically, with gold. And so what you end up with is a bowl that would have been just a normal old ceramic bowl that now looks class in technical terms. Okay? So it, it now actually looks better than it did before it broke. Right? Because it's got these seams of gold. And not only that, but everyone, obviously, is entirely unique because no two bowls will break in the same way. So they're all entirely unique masterpieces, made more beautiful by the fact that they've been broken and repaired. And I think there's something in that, like as regards our souls, you know? We've been broken but repaired. We've been broken but sealed with the blood of the lamb, right? We've been washed clean by his blood. And those who, as we read in Revelation, you know, when we see that, that, that crowd of people dressed in white, who are they? They are those who've been washed in the blood of the lamb. So they've been washed because they needed washing. If they didn't need washing, it would have been pointless. They, they've been washed because they had sin. And that's been washed, and then here they are now with these beautiful, bright white clothes because they've lived from the mercy of God. So it's ne this is never an encouragement to sin, okay? Sin, and then you experience God's mercy, and it's class. No. <laughs> but we, 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 we struggle, we fight against sin, but if we do, sin doesn't have the last word, you see. That, that's the point. Sin doesn't have the last word. The mercy of God does. 
if I want it. If I want, if I want God's mercy, it's, it's available to me, if I want it, if I really want it. But if I don't want God's mercy, there, there, there's actually no way back. Because I, I cannot save myself. I cannot. None of us can. So this is the, the beauty of our faith, that we always have hope. And that our, our mistakes don't have to have the last word. And that if I've experienced God's mercy, and you think of some of the, you know, the greats, you think of your Saint Augustine, you think of Moses, like, who was a murderer and end up, ends up freeing his people and being such a, an incredible intercessor for them. You know, your Saint Augustine's, so, so many saints, Saint Paul himself, who pers persecuted the church. And yet, when they turn around then, their experience of God, their, their, their fervor, their zeal, is just incredible because they've experienced his mercy. They know what it's like to be broken, to, to be wrong, to come to the Lord for healing and for mercy, and then to become something even more beautiful afterwards. And that can be you and I. So we ask the good Lord today that we will always draw from his mercy every time and everywhere he offers it. At the beginning of Mass, when our, our venial sins are forgiven, confession when it's available, that, Lord, we won't just go and give the shopping list, but that we will immerse ourselves in the ocean of your mercy, that we will experience the life-giving grace that you give us through your forgiveness, that we may become even more beautiful than we were before. Amen.